I'm going to begin a new series today, beginning in Genesis chapter 37. Over the course of the next uh, few months, we're going to work our way through the remainder of Genesis, right up to chapter 50. If you're familiar with, uh, with that book, you'll know that's going to cover quite a lot about the, the life of a man called Joseph. And, uh, and today is our first step into it, our introduction, if you like, uh, picking out some themes from this very first passage that will hopefully uh, bear us in good stead uh, for, the, for the rest of the series. So very occasionally there might be Sundays where we're looking at something different, um, but mostly all the way through uh, we're, the next few months, this is what we're going to be uh, focused on. I'm just going to get my microphone sorted a little bit more. Okay. So Genesis chapter 37 begins like this. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he'd been born to him in his old age. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them. They hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered round mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you. His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in hand. So this is the story, the account of, of Jacob. Note that introduction. This is the account of Jacob, and then he goes on to talk about Joseph. And we'll uh, be familiar with, with the story of Joseph, many of us anyway, either from the Bible or the stage production uh, of Andrew Lloyd Webber. Great song. So I know that if I say to you way, way back many centuries ago, you can say, boom. Okay. But we're cut, we're, I'm going to preach from the Bible, okay? As, as, as catchy as the songs are, Andrew Lloyd Webber, uh, Webber's telling of the story um, perhaps misses out some key themes that we're going to look at today. So as we're looking at this passage, and as we're going through this new series, here are three pointers uh, to what to be looking out for, 
Here are three, uh, three themes with which I think God wants to encourage us. And the first is this. This is a true story. This is a true story about the family of God. It says that there. This is the account of, of Jacob. I know it goes on to focus about just one son in particular. But actually, this is a story about the whole, uh, the whole family. Uh, this is God's family. This is the family that, that God is working with on planet Earth. And uh, I wonder if any of you have ever played the game, the card game, Happy Families. Um, I'm getting a few warm noddies. I'm, I'm, probably it's a bit dated now for reasons that will become apparent. Because in the, in the card game Happy Families, the aim of the game was to collect uh, four cards of the same family, of the same type, if you like, four of a kind, basically. Um, and, and there would be a, a father and a mother, uh, and there'd be a son and a daughter. Um, and they'd all be connected, obviously, with the same surname, and that would be connected somehow to having the same occupation. So, you know, it could be, like, I don't know, Mr. Drip, uh, the plumber. Um, and then you have Mrs. Drip, Master Drip, and Miss Drip. You could have, you could have Mr. Cutting, I suppose. Uh, Mr. Cutting, uh, the gardener. Um, and then Mrs. Cutting, Master Cutting. Anyway, on we go. Um, Mr. Barker as well out there somewhere. The vet. Um, all very simple. Just four cards. Uh, all in the same format. You just had to collect four of them. Well, if you were playing this game at this point with the family of God, you'd have a few more than four cards. Okay, you've got, you've got Mr. Israel, if you like. You've got Jacob, the father, the shepherd. Um, but, but rather than have one missus, there'd be four. Um, so we would have uh, Leah. Leah the unwanted, um, because the, the story we already know earlier on from Genesis that, um, that Jacob was tricked into marrying her. I mean, that must have been pretty tough for both of them. Uh, the Lord saw that she wasn't loved and, and gave her a lot of children. So you'd have uh, Master Reuben, Master Simeon, Master Levi, Master Judah, Master Issachar, Master Zebulun. You'd also have uh, Miss Dina. So she had a lot of children. There we are in the family of God. There'd also be Mrs. Rachel, and, uh, and eventually God would give her um, Master Joseph and Master Benjamin. But she would pass away giving birth uh, to Benjamin. Um, then also, so, uh, another complication is that Leah and Rachel are sisters. This is getting tricky, isn't it? Let's just... This is not like a pattern now for how to do family life directly. This is going to bring some helpful themes, but this is complicated. This is mixed up, really. And it gets a little bit more mixed up when, for, for reasons of kind of competitive feelings, both those wives, both those sisters, give to their husband a, another wife, their own maidservant. So hence we have um, uh, Bilhad, who gives birth to Dan and Naphtali, and, and Zilpah, who gives birth to Gad and Asher. Now, you've got, you got 18 cards, I think it's 18, 18 cards in your hand, if you're playing Happy Families. And you might have an appreciation how come things weren't always so happy um, in this, this family. It's a bit, bit complicated, and, uh, and it's a bit tense. Now, in some respects, at this point, they might be thinking as a family, things are just starting to settle down. 
They've, they've been on lots of ups and downs. There's been lots of, of, of crises, maybe answered prayer, encounters with God. Um, they've been on a big journey, and now they've actually landed, and they're, they're settling down in the land of Canaan. This is the land that God had promised them uh, all along. And so here they are, settling down. We can imagine then that they are, uh, they're building homes. We know here that they're, they're tending sheep. That's the family business. They're looking after the flocks. They're working together um, and, and kind of claiming the land. Um, but at the same time, in some respects, things might be settling down. There's tension getting stirred up. And we see that here, the, the repetition of hatred. Brothers hating more and more, described as, as jealousy. And, uh, and we can see an example of, of, of very unwise favoritism. Uh, giving, giving Joseph an, a richly ornamented robe. This, this visual indication. Here's the son who doesn't really have to do any work. I'm not sending him out into the fields. He can just wear this amazing robe that, that really provides this strong visual image to prove, if it wasn't obvious already, that he's the favored one. He's, he's the really special one. And you start to feel the, the tension rise one after another. Joseph comes with a bad report about some of his sons. Father, they're not doing a good job. Ooh, tension comes to the surface. Then, like I say, Jacob gives Joseph the special robe. You guys go out into the field, but Joseph, you stay with me. Wear this. And the anger starts to rise. And then Joseph has a couple of dreams, uh, which he shares with his brothers and, and then his father as well. And it all starts to, uh, to boil over. We'll, we'll see how it boils over uh, uh, next week. But just for now, we can see this, this tension rising. Perhaps in our own experience, we can know something of the, the complications and tensions of, of family life. Uh, in our own experience, obviously, uh, God's family is now not something that people are born into in the way that these guys were, but something that we're born again into by faith in Jesus. That for anyone who believes in Jesus, for anyone who receives him, uh, uh, we receive the right, they receive the right, to become children of God. Not, not children uh, born of a husband's will, but, but children born of God, added into this massive global family. It's something to delight in. It's something to give thanks for. We can give thanks that our Heavenly Father doesn't show that kind of favoritism. Right across the board, he's knitting people into this massive global family and he's saying, you are all my chosen ones. You're all special and dearly loved. That's how it says in uh, partway through Colossians, you know, God's people are chosen, dearly loved, holy people. Absolutely every single one of them. We can give thanks for that. We can give thanks maybe in our own experience for, uh, for God's, uh, God's blessing and God's answered prayer. Um, maybe you're here and you think, well, my, my testimony isn't that special. But I can say that I, from an early age, I've known about God. I was taught about him. I've, my, my parents prayed with me. They taught me about the Lord. Maybe that's what's happening right now. Um, Knowing God is wonderful, and yet we can still know from time to time tensions and complications coming to the surface. Now look, the Bible doesn't cover over 
the challenges that we might face. doesn't cover over that. gives us a wonderful picture, and in the New Testament as well, of God's family, but still brings to the surface here for us some of the challenges and, and stories, true stories like this about the family of God, stories like this have the power to get under our skin and reveal our heart. Now I wonder if that might be even demonstrated by me asking this. Have we just read verses 1 to 11? Who do you most identify with? Who would get your sympathy? If it came down to it, whose side would you be on? My, maybe you'd be identifying with Joseph. He's just enthusiastic. He's a young guy. He's got dreams. Eager to share them. Maybe he's a bit naive. Others might think of Joseph. Oh, he's just an arrogant so-and-so, daring to wind up his entire family. Which way is it? Could be either. Could be both. Could be in the middle. Could be different. Do you identify with Joseph? He was just badly treated and misunderstood. He was really badly treated. I think he was misunderstood. Or maybe you would identify, you consider the brothers. Actually, look, 11 of them just disregarded, just workers in the family, just being sent out. No special treatment, no special affirmation, no special love. Now oh, you're part of the family, now get on with it. I need to spend time with Joseph. Oh, maybe you identify with the brothers. They're misunderstood. They've not been loved. Or maybe you think of the brothers. They are just bitter and twisted. You identify with them, or you think, I don't want anything to do with them. Or maybe Jacob, the father. You might identify with Jacob. And you know the backstory. He's, he's still grieving the love of his life. She passed away on the way to the, to the land. Just en route. She gave birth to Benjamin. She knew his... She gave him a name, but they had to grieve beside the road and then, and then carry on the journey. Well, they've arrived, but Jacob's still reeling. He's devastated. Joseph, it's like his way of connecting with her. He's the one who might remind him what she looked like and what she sounded like. She's gone. Thank goodness he's got Joseph. Think, oh, Jacob, that's got to be hard. But it might also be possible to say of Jacob, but the robe, I mean, really? That's just not helpful. What were you thinking? You've, whatever experiences you've had, whatever grief you've got, you've still got 12 sons and a daughter at least. You've got a big family. They all need to know that you love them. So... Maybe by, maybe by kind of our age and stage, we might kind of gravitate to one or the other. 
Or maybe by a personal experience, we can say, oh, I think I'd probably be in Joseph's corner. Oh, I'm, I think I'm with the brothers on this one. And so like I say, it's got the power to get under our skin. And as we, as we hear the story, we're then tempted to pass judgment. We're tempted to condemn. It's amazing how the, 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 the narrative unfolds. It's not the word of God that says Joseph was an arrogant so-and-so. It's us who kind of read that in. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. It's got this matter-of-fact way of just telling us the history of the family for us then to work through. This true story about the family of God. In the family of God, reality for us now is possible, sometimes feels easy, to want to pass judgment on your brother. You've been added into God's family. You've been made to be his people. And you've got a huge number of brothers and sisters. And sometimes you just want to have nothing to do with some of them. Or you just want to pass, pass judgment, condemn. This is what Jesus said to his followers in, uh, in Matthew Chapter 7 and verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We are about to see what happens when brothers don't take the plank out of their own eye. And they just see the problem in the other person, and they want to deal with it. And they just want to be done with it. They want to write someone off and move on. And they ain't going to learn... That's really a properly bad idea and doesn't demonstrate God's kingdom. And maybe that's what's going to happen for us through the course of it. We're going to go through this and we're going to, maybe the Lord will highlight a plank in our own eye. So tempting to kind of try to correct other people, counsel other people without kind of recognizing, I've, I've, I've got to do something here. I've got to acknowledge what's going on in my own heart. I've got to acknowledge what's going on in my own life. What's happened in my own history that's maybe affecting now the way that I see things happening in the family. It's glorious to be part of God's family. This will be an eternally very big and very happy family. Sometimes in the, mean, in the meantime, before we get there, there might be tensions or complications to deal with. Uh, is that something we're prepared for? Is that something that we recognize is important to do? Because sometimes it just feels tempting just to react, overreact, and move on. Move away from the family, even. Drift away from the family of God. Sometimes people can do that when they're felt hurt. Something's been said, something's been done, something's been misunderstood. And that's it, just a, a quiet decision is made. Oh, I'm just going to drift away. I'm just going to edge back from the family of God. Oh yeah, one day, I'll be there in glory, but right now, I'll keep my distance. 
or if not withdraw, then kind of go in for the kill. Well, more about that next time. So this is a true story about the family of God that will help us today. It's also, second pointer, this is also, a, as well as being a true story, it's also a big story. This is a big story about the sovereignty of God. It's tempting, if we zoom right in just to think about Joseph, is to think that Joseph's the hero of the story. Either I do identify with Joseph or I don't identify with Joseph, uh, and therefore perhaps I am the, uh, the hero of the story, or I'll never be the hero of the story. And we just focus on what God is doing with one person. Now, a lot of the time we're going to see what God is doing in and through Joseph's life. We've got to keep that big picture in view, though. This is about a whole family, what God is doing with a whole family. And also we need to bear in mind, this is not about Joseph being a hero. It's not about any of us being the hero. This is about God who is the hero. He is the hero of the story. Um, Joseph did have a very specific part to play in God's purposes. But these are God's purposes we're talking about. This is God's story, and this is a God who's in control. Notice that it's God who gave two dreams to Joseph. Now, we might ask the question straight away, did he handle it maturely? Was, was he right to share them? Was he trying to wind them up? But let's not miss the point of God's sovereign control. It's God who gave the dreams. God can give dreams to a 17-year-old. that You're going to need to remember these dreams. That's why I've given you two. Because this is preparing you for something to come. Now, who knows what Joseph thought about them or what he imagined might happen, what Jacob and his brothers imagined might happen, and for what reason. But we know there is a God who's in control, who has purposes for this family and gave those dreams on purpose, and that he is at work in his family. This is the family that he chose. He spoke to Abraham, in effect saying, follow my plan for your life. That, uh, God's promises to Abraham passed on to Isaac. And from Isaac passed on to Jacob. And God gave him a new name, Israel, and 12 tribes would kind of grow from his family. This very imperfect, very mixed up family, but it is still the family of God. And God is still profoundly at work. And he is at work faithfully to fulfill the promises that he's given to this family. Just turn back a few pages, you'll, you'll get to Genesis uh, chapter 12. God speaking to Abraham. Leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. And in verse 2, gives him, this gives him this promise. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That is a big promise for one man. As we go through Genesis, the, the question is, in a sense, how's God, how's God going to fulfill that? How's God going to take this one man and make him into a great nation. As we go through these chapters in Genesis, we're going to see how. How did God take one family and make them a great nation? How did God use this family 
even at that point in history, to bring blessing to the whole world. There was another promise. Another word from God came in Genesis chapter 15, a little bit further on. And verse, verse 13, or uh, the Lord said to Abraham again, in verse 13, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. and They'll be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. This is all God's word to Joseph's great-great-grandfather. Is that right? God's promises to this family... Now, we know not everything that happens in this family is pretty. But everything is under God's control. God is over everything, and he's holding everything. Absolutely all things. He is in control of all things. This family is living with promises, promises about growth, promises about blessing, promises for the whole world. And God is going to bring those promises about. He's going to fulfill his plans and purposes. I, I think uh, last weekend's Kids Corps, you were looking at this, this verse, I think, in Romans 8 and verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It's great encouragement to know. We're part of God's family. Loving him, knowing that we've been called according to his purpose. Just look, marvel at his faithfulness to bring about good in all things. To work good for his people. Here is an amazing example of the providence of God. Of God even working through people who are imperfect and situations, some of which are, are ugly and difficult, nevertheless, God is working all things for good. Are you confident of that? Do you trust that to be true? Are you, are you persuaded of it? Sometimes we can take offense. In the family of God, sometimes we can take offense. We can take offense about something that somebody said. We can take offense at something that was done that shouldn't have been done, or something that wasn't done that was. And it's possible then to fail to see what God is doing. You know, if you're identified with the brothers, can, can you overlook an offense that was caused you and see what God is doing? Can you, can you see what God is doing in, uh, in your brother or sister without getting jealous? Can you believe God for everyone in the family? And perhaps despite his faults, Jacob had learned a bit about this. In verse 11, we're, we're told you know, his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in hand, kept the matter in mind, rather. This... this these dreams, son, kind of 
get under my skin. What are you trying to say? That you're going to be over us somehow? I'm going to bow down to you? But he, he kept the matter in hand. He's, I wonder what God has got for him. I wonder what these dreams do mean. For the brothers, it's just a reaction of hatred and jealousy. For the father, something perhaps is here that God is indicating of his great work. And can we see what God is doing in our own life, even in times of great trouble and hardship? This is what we're going to look at, this big story about the sovereignty of God. But we need to bear in mind one more, one more pointer, one more theme, if you like. As well as being a true story and a big story, this is, in fact, uh, a love story about the Son of God. This story is pointing us forward. It's pointing us not just to the events of their day, not just to what's going to happen in Egypt, but what would one day happen uh, hundreds of years in the future from their point of view and hundreds of years in the past from ours. But it says in John 3.16, doesn't it, that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world uh, through him. And here, in this story, we get kind of echoes of that greater story. It's like a, a DJ who can, who can sample a song and, and kind of weave it into another. We, we pick up a theme here that's going to run through the Bible and be fulfilled uh, in Jesus, because hearing this story should remind us uh, of another one. This, a pattern that unfolds through the Bible, that the person that God has chosen to bring deliverance is rejected by the very people he's come to save. But that rejection is actually part of what brings about their deliverance. Jesus is the true, this is what Tim Keller says, Jesus is the true and better Joseph who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. Whatever you think about Joseph at the beginning of chapter 37, just bear in mind what he's going to do. He's going to forgive. He's going to forgive the people who treated him harshly. He's going to forgive their hatred. He's going to forgive their jealousy for the saving of many lives. Remember that. It's not like every week we're going to be talking about forgiveness. But we're going to be touching on this a lot. Rising to a big crescendo at the end. Let's use this as an opportunity to, to marvel at the love of Jesus, the love of God, to forgive our sin, to save us. We're not going, if, if this touches a nerve, if this gets under our skin, if this highlights stuff in our own life which is uncomfortable, either that's happening right now or happened way back when but still hits into us, it's still painful, it still hurts, it's still there. My sin back then, I know it's forgiven, but it's still there, or what this other person did to me, what they said, what they did, how they treated me. We're going to look at next week, we're going to look at kind of Joseph, just 
He literally tasted dirt because of his brothers. He's literally in a pit because of them. Don't you realize? And he had years to stew on it. But we're going to see profound forgiveness that brings about the saving of God's people. Now, we, we can only deal with the muck of life, with the dirt of rejection, if we're prepared to come to Jesus, if we're prepared to allow this to, 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 to steer us towards him and point us towards him and point us towards what he's done for us. If we, when we see what Jesus has done for us, when we, when we marvel at the greatness of a God who designed a plan to forgive us, even involved us being his enemies, and we're the ones who are responsible for Jesus' death. It's, people have said, you know, the nails are, are in my pocket. We can say it was the Roman soldiers, we can say it was the religious leaders, but really it was me as well. I've, I've got his nails in my pocket. It's my sin that held him on the cross. It describes... Uh, the prophet Isaiah was, would, would look forward and see God's servant and how he would be treated, but what the fruit would be. So we can see in Isaiah chapter 53, speaking of the, the suffering servant who was to come, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God. Smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. The one from whom men turn their faces. That was describing Jesus. How he would be rejected, he would be so cruelly treated, but that his wounds would bring healing for our lives, for our souls. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. This is profoundly good news. Maybe there are... Uh, complicated issues sometimes in family life but we're going to find here a story a story about God's family that's going to enable us to marvel at his control and if, if God was in control then you know he is in control now if, if God was in control of their lives and if your life is given to him, you know that he is sovereign over your life and holding your life in his hands and working all of it somehow together for good. And even when we have to deal with muck and disappointment, rejection, we note bitterness or any other issues of the heart that might be, we thought, oh, I thought this would be a time when everything was settling down. And actually we feel things are being stirred up within us. If only. We might encounter... Other people's specks and our own planks. 
as we come to Jesus, as we follow the signposts, as we look to him, as we listen to this amazing love story, as we bear in mind that it's about Jesus, the Son of God, we'll find resources that enable us to deal with that and see God's purpose fulfilled in the family of God. Not a people who are pulling apart, not a people who are learning to withdraw, but a people who are learning to rejoice, who will ultimately be united in God's purposes. So three pointers about an amazing story, and let's see what God brings our attention to as we go through it. Amen.